for you. Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted only to find out that it wasn't what you expected? Yes? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're in good company. Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted only to find out uh, it wasn't what you expected? So there was this British man uh, in 2011 who grew tired of all of the robocalls and the uh, telemarketing calls that he was getting. And the article that I was reading said that he was getting an average of 30 calls from telemarketers a month. And so you can imagine the time that this guy was wasting on this. His name's Lee Beaumont. He decided to turn the tables on these anonymous harassers, and here's what he did. This is genius. It's actually simple, polite, and genius. In late November of 2011, Beaumont changed his home phone into a premium line number. And so what that means is that anyone who called in would be charged 16 cents a minute to talk on his home phone. That's genius, right? If you wanted to conduct business with Lee, you had to call him on this line and it would cost you 16 cents a minute and in less than two years, he made $470. It gets better. He works from home, right? So uh, he would encourage people to keep telling them, telling him about their products. Like, yes, I'd love to know more about your vinyl siding. Oh, it comes in colors. Really, tell me about those colors. Oh, can you just, could you just, could you read me the list of product materials on your siding? I'd really like to know more. Like, he would do all that he could to keep these people on the phone so that he could charge them. And what's even more interesting is that he uses this number now to do all business in England. Like, if he's signing up for something, he puts this number down. And if the people he's doing business with, they refuse to use the number, he says, I'm not going to give you a number. You have to email me. This is genius. So the telemarketers who wanted to talk to him, they got exactly what they wanted, didn't they? But it was more than they'd bargained for. And that's exactly what's happening in our story, right? This week, our Bible story. Jacob, if you'll remember, he got everything that he wanted. If you don't remember, let me recap. He got the birthright from Esau. He got his father's blessing. But the result of his deception was not the result that he had in mind. Jacob damaged his relationship with his brother, and he was forced to leave home. So his mother, Rebecca, she hears of Esau devising this plan. Basically, listen, when the old man goes down, when he's dead, guess what? Jacob's going to be dead too because I'm taking him out. That's what's happening. So she over, actually, she doesn't overhear it. Someone tells her, which is a really interesting twist. And so she's like, I'm not going to let that happen. That's not going to happen at all. So she suggests to Isaac, Jacob's father, you know, maybe it's time for Jacob to find a suitable bride. And you know what? These Canaanite women, these Hittites, they're going to be the death of me. We got to get a good woman for our son. And of course, having found Rebecca in a similar manner, Isaac, of course, agrees. Now, if you don't notice in the story, in fact, there are many times in this story where Isaac doesn't seem to have all the information. Rebecca doesn't tell him about the plot, right? She only tells him, hey, we need to find a good bride for our son. And so, of course, Isaac agrees to this. And in Genesis 28, Isaac calls Jacob and he's like, listen, you have to go and take a bride, not from here in Canaan, but you have to go to the house of Bethuel. You need to take a wife from our own people. 
And this was very common in this day. He says, take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. But before he sends Jacob out, something really important happens. In that moment, Isaac reaffirms the blessing. But this time, with no deception involved. And we catch up with these guys in Genesis 28, starting with verse 3. Isaac says to him, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now, if you think about this from the perspective of Jacob, this had to be kind of a powerful moment, right? Because the first time he tricked his dad into getting this blessing, but now his dad's actually giving him the blessing willingly. He's just handing it to him. And not only that, he's professing it in such a way like he's enthusiastic. He's excited that he's able to confer this blessing on his son. And if you're in this room and you've ever had a parent confer a blessing of some kind on you, whether it's something simple like telling you that you did a good job or saying they were proud of you, it's a big deal, isn't it? It means a lot. But what's interesting in this story Jacob doesn't even have time to enjoy this because he is immediately sent on this difficult journey 550 miles north to Haran by himself, away from everything that he just gained. Another thing that's true is sometimes when we get everything that we want, we often end up in a place that we don't expect, right? Has that ever happened to you? You've gotten everything you wanted, but you end up in a place that you didn't expect to be. Like, you take the job because the old job is really lame, and you find out the grass is definitely not greener at the new gig. Or you move to a new place, and you discover it's a lot more difficult than you imagined. Maybe it's hard to make friends there. We try to make the right choices in life. And we learn that every decision that we make seems to have a cost on the other side that maybe we didn't account for. We find ourselves in a place where we feel maybe like we're all alone. Or we feel like things are kind of hopeless. And we start to ask the questions, right? Well, did I hear God clearly? Did he, uh, did he really speak to me? Did I do something wrong? Has God forgotten me? These are the questions that we ask. Well, today I'm here to share something with you guys that I think is really important for us to grab a hold of. And that's two lasting promises that Jesus offers us. These are promises of hope. This is a hope that we can have for our future, that no matter where we wake up and find ourselves, right, whether we feel like we're all alone or we're right where we should be, we can still take hold of these things. The Bible, we keep talking about this, but I want to remind you, it's God's story, right? He uses people as a part of the story, but the story is about God. And there's this reoccurring theme in this story. And if you haven't caught it, I'm going to repeat it to you again because it's really important for us to grab a hold of this. God uses flawed people. And he uses them right where he finds them. We think we have to like clean up and we got to pull it all together and just kind of, we have to, you know, well, you know what? I'll come to church once I stop doing this or I'll come to church once I get this together. God doesn't need any of that. He's like, listen, you just come and we'll figure out the rest later. That's how awesome he is. He uses flawed people right where he finds them, and he breathes life into hopeless situations. He is a God of resurrection, and that includes our lives. 
So today, if you feel like God's distant, or maybe things just seem hopeless in your world right now, you need to take heart because God cares and God loves you right where you're at. You don't have to do anything to earn that. He loves you just the way you are and right where you're at. So today, as we continue to follow Jacob's journey, we're gonna find him, he's gonna be on the run, And he's going to be in isolation. You know, this is just what I do. Maybe you don't. But lots of times when I read these Bible stories, I imagine like the soundtrack that would go with it a little bit, you know? Like I just start to get a song in my head. And so like, it is the night. My body's weak. I'm on the run. No time to sleep. Who knows that? I've got to ride, ride like the wind to be free again. Who doesn't know that song? That's really sad. We need to talk after church. And I've got such a long way to go. Michael McDonald, right? Do it. Such a long way to go. Get to the border of Mexico. Come on. So I'll ride like the wind. Ride like the wind. Here's the best part. Sing it with me, okay, if you know it. Ride like the wind. It doesn't matter if it sounds good. I just want to dance now, man. This is awesome. I could do this all day, really. So he's on the run, right? And, and Christopher Cross is playing in the background, ride like the wind. He's on this journey. He's in isolation. But it's in this moment of isolation, and this is serious. It's in this moment of isolation that God speaks to him. And I think that that's important for us to remember. Sometimes it takes that isolation, setting us aside from all the other stuff. And that's the moment when it's finally quiet enough for us to hear what God wants to say to us. And so check this out. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. And we'll talk about that. Put a bookmark in that statement. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. And he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's pretty freaky, isn't it? You're sleeping on a rock out in the desert or whatever, and you have this dream of this... Like, you're not even sure what you're seeing necessarily. The sages and the scholars believed that when the Torah speaks of the setting sun, and if you look through those first five books of the Bible especially, you'll see this. When they refer to the setting sun, it almost always is like this precursor to exile. A moment where people are separated from a place or from another people, sometimes even from God. But it's an exile that Jacob's story as a patriarch, as one of God's people, as like the man truly begins. Like this is the moment that it all starts for him. He leaves these comforts from home. He ends up using a rock for a pillow. He has a freaky dream. The ladder that he's thinking of here, a lot of people believe it was more like those ziggurats that we've talked about, you know, those stacked pyramids with the stairs going down them. We talked about that with the Tower of Babel. But here's the difference in this story. The Tower of Babel, it was humanity trying to reach up to God, right? But in this story, we see that God is present in the place already, and he is reaching out to people. 
And so I kind of imagine it as like this escalator. You got a preview of this earlier, but like this escalator that he sees of people going up and people going down. And then you have God like right at the top of the whole thing, right? And there's a vision or the stairway to the stars, stairway to the stars, right? So there he is. He sees this, these angelic beings zipping up and coming down and going all over the place. Then this happens. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. The birthright and the blessing from his father were one thing. But it's in this moment of exile that God confirms the blessing in Jacob. Because up to this point, right? It was all human interaction. We don't have any evidence that God had spoken to him or conferred this blessing on him. But he has this moment now where he's in exile, he's alone. And then God says, listen, this is your blessing. I will make sure this happens and I will be with you. Not only does God give Jacob the stamp of approval, but he assures Jacob that he will be with him to see this plan through. And that blessing that he's talking about that's going to spread all over the earth culminates and continues in our Messiah, right? In Jesus. That's how we all entered this whole picture. Jesus brings you and he brings me into this family of God. And we sang it earlier. He's our living hope. And like Jacob and God's story, we need to grab a hold of this today. Jesus promises to be present. Right, We have God speaking to Jacob saying, listen, I'm going to be with you. Jesus says the same thing to us. In Jacob's story in the dream, he sees the Lord standing on the top of this thing. He's like, what in the world's going on? This thing's coming down from heaven. Upon this ladder, angels are going up and coming down. There's all kinds of interpretations that scholars suggest here. But on a basic level, what this represents, I think for you, you and I, is this intersection between heaven and earth. It represents God being directly involved in the lives of his people. That's us. And so for us, Jesus is this intersection. He is this stairway. He is this bridge between God and humankind. In John 14, 6, Jesus even says that he's the way to the Father, that he's this bridge or this ladder. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave his disciples, which includes us, by the way, instruction. He said to go and bring others along the way with you to carry on this plan, right, that we just talked about, to spread like dust to all nations, to bring others into the family through baptism, July 28th, and to teach them to follow his commandments. The disciples learned that the road ahead, it wasn't going to be easy, right? Think about all those guys and what they faced after that moment where Jesus 
listen, guys, it's on you now. Here are the instructions. But the last thing that Jesus said to him, and this is in Matthew's account, he's like, listen, remember, I will be with you always, and yes, even until the end of the age. He promises this. God's vision reminded Jacob of his presence with him on this journey. But he also assured him that he would bring him back to this promised land. And so Jesus reminds us to have hope, to live out this mission, because he is with us. And so growing up in church, I always had this vision of Jesus. You know, like the way that I thought about this was like him going, go get him, guys! Right? You can do it! And maybe he's saying that a little bit. But it's not just him like releasing us. It's like he said, there's an intimacy here. There's an encouragement. There's a love. Uh, when Valerie and I first got married, speaking of love, right? When we first got married, our first house was two doors down from the foot of William Jewell College. And it was this little two-story house uh, that we had to convert into a, a single-family dwelling one of the things that I remember, my two oldest kids are in their 20s now, but when they were a little itty-bitty, we were in that house. And the stairway up to the house, the sidewalk, it was kind of on a hill, and it was a little bit treacherous. And so there were rails, if I remember right, on the sides of the stairs at moments, but then the porch itself had no railing around it, and the walkway had no railing around it. And so for a little kid, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't super safe. I mean, we had to keep our eyes on them, right? And so our kids are pretty independent, and they would try to toddle up that walkway, and we tried to take their hand. I can do it myself, right? You know, how many know what I'm talking about with kids, right? I can do it myself, right? And they're almost falling down as they say it. And so we would let them try. But when their footing would become unsteady, they would kind of give us that glance back, like, right? You know what I'm talking about. Sort of like to make sure that we, were, that we didn't drive off or something, leaving them on the sidewalk. They wanted to make sure that their parents were still there. They wanted to make, some, make sure someone was still there in case something went wrong or they fell down. They wanted to know that we were with them. And so sometimes they would start to falter on the stairs and I would just kind of put my hand on the small of their back. Not to hold them up necessarily, but really just to let them know that I was right there with them. And that would give them this confidence so they could keep walking, they could keep going. In our passage, when God assures Jacob, I am with you, the Hebrew Bible indicates this to mean that God is saying to Jacob, listen, I'm on your side. I will assist you. That God isn't just watching, but he is present. He's involved. And the same is true for us guys as followers of Jesus. This is amazing. He promises to be present. His spirit provides for us and it gives us direction. Jesus opens opportunities for us. He also closes opportunities. And when we walk in his ways, he remains with us, right? Just like he said there at the end, until the end of the age, just like that, in all of these ways, our Messiah remains with his disciples, even to this day. That's good news, right? Amen? Genesis 28, 16. 
We continue in Jacob's story. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely, he's not calling the Lord surely, I want to be clear. He's like, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Not like, how awesome is this place, right? No, it's, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone, right, that he'd put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first and that's just giving us an indication that we've talked about this place in the Bible before. You can look it up. So Jacob wakes up from this dream and he's like with a, like he is alarmed. He's freaking out. He's stressed. Have you ever had a dream that you woke up and it was like, it just, your mind was like racing and you felt crazy and fearful. Anyone ever, like all the time, some of you are like, every day for me. Thank you for reminding me. Sorry. Anyway, he wakes from this dream. He's had this vision of the Lord, but this vision of the Lord shook him to his core. God is a loving father, guys. He is a loving father. But he is also a terrifying Lord of all majesty, the king of the universe before whom no flesh can stand, scripture says. We struggle with that comparison, right? Because we want to sit around and sing, how he loves us, right? And he does. But he is also like beyond, he is other, he is something completely high and exalted above anything, the best thing that we could offer, he's way above it. Let me try and explain this. So most of you are familiar with tigers, right? Tigers are one of my favorite creatures and they're amazing. We've at least heard that tigers are terrifying. And I was gonna show you some videos to underscore that, but none of them were appropriate because they were all really scary. But A tiger is this large, powerful predator, right? It's a cat. It is designed to stalk and to kill prey. And not only that, it's designed in such a way to stalk, kill, and overtake prey that are sometimes three or four times larger than the tiger. It is a killing machine. This is something we know. We're aware of this. But that knowledge becomes a whole other thing. When you're actually in a situation where you're being stalked by a tiger, or you come face to face with the tiger with no glass or bars in between the two of you. Suddenly, this is a whole, you understood that tigers were dangerous, but now you get it, tigers are scary, right? And again, I had lots of videos I could have shown you, but church would be over at that point. So, Now, hopefully, we uh, properly understand the fear of tigers. So in Jacob's case, he had heard the stories, right? I mean, he grew up with his grandpa around and his father, and they would tell him stories of God and what God did and what God said and all those things that we've all grown up hearing as well. He had a knowledge of God in his head, right? He knew the answers, he would raise his hand at VBS and say, Jesus, and always get it right. Because he had the answers. He knew. He had this knowledge of God. But it's an altogether different thing, ladies and gentlemen, when we encounter the reality 
of the living God for the first time. And so he's in this moment where like he's really freaking out because things are happening and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And he realizes, man, God was in this place all along. Now that can be scary, but that can also be encouraging to us, right? Because as with Jesus as a mediator into the holiness of who God is, that same powerful presence that he recognizes here at Bethel is with us. When God says he's with us, when we read about Jesus coming to be with us from the very beginning of the gospels, that same powerful presence is with you. No matter where you go on this planet, we have hope. Jesus is present. Whatever you're walking through, like imagining him with his hand right there on the small of your back, making sure that you understand, I'm with you. We have to remember that and walk in his ways with confidence. The second point today, the second promise, Jesus promises that we have a purpose. Jacob found himself in exile, and it seemed like his plan had failed, right? It seemed like, I went through all this stuff, I did everything mom said to do, and now, all of a sudden, I'm being sent away. So Jacob is shown this dream, God shows him this dream heaven and earth intersecting and he reveals there is a purpose Jacob behold I'm with you and I'm going to keep you wherever you go and listen I will bring you back to this land so don't worry about what direction you're headed right now I'm going to bring you back and listen I'm not even going to leave you I will be with you I'm going to accomplish everything that I promised you this is Genesis 28 15 if we zip over to John chapter 15, Jesus said that the key to living out the purpose that he has for us is only found in him. If we want to know what our purpose is, we have to look to Jesus. Remaining in his presence and walking in his ways are the key to this. John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is or she, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the purpose that Jesus has for us is he wants us to be these delicious, fruit-filled vines that the rest of the world would want to eat. Like, whatever our lives look like, that it would be so beautiful and attractive and look so much like Jesus that people would be like, I don't know what that is, but I want it. Right? We talked about these things last week, right? Galatians. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We also learned last week that when we make our efforts to do these things and like, you know, conjure them up in our lives and I just need to love people more, or I need to just have more peace. Like we just end up becoming frustrated with this. And the reason is, is only Jesus can really manifest these things in our life. And so we're like, okay, that's great. He promises to be our hope. He promises to do this, to see it through. But how, how is this gonna happen? How am I gonna find my life filled with all of these things. 
I imagine that Jesus' disciples, when he was crucified, and like they're like, they have that moment where they have no idea what's happening, even though he warned them several times, that they felt that same doubt and fear that we feel sometimes, the same doubt and fear that Jacob felt as he struggled to understand what God was doing. His disciples asking, how did we get here? Like, is this all that there is? Is this what it was supposed to be? What do we do now, guys? But fortunately for them and for us, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and he just sort of started popping in everywhere, right? Which would have also been terrifying. We've talked about that before. Hey guys, oh, right? Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared to them to reaffirm his purpose for the disciples. And then it says that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he continues to intercede on behalf of his disciples, on behalf of all of his people. You can read about that in Acts 1.9, Colossians 3.1, John 17.5, 1 John 2.1, I could go on. But I think that this ladder that we're talking about, Jacob's stairway or whatever this is, is a great metaphor for us understanding how this relationship with Jesus works. Because as the bridge, Jesus brings his disciples into what I'm going to call a mystical union. It's hard to like, if we're trying to just get our natural minds around what's going on here and how all this works, I think we're going to, it's like, okay, I don't, I don't understand how this happens. But what I know is that God promises that if we use Jesus, Jesus is the bridge between these two worlds. And if we take advantage of that bridge, if we're in him, if we walk in his path, that we are connected to the father. We have a connection. We are part now of that family. Jacob's ladder is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to abide in Jesus as we just read in the previous verse. So there's three ways I want to show you here. Prayer is like Jacob's ladder. Prayer is this privileged conversation that we have. Our ability to connect, guys, the finite, which is us, with the infinite. Have you ever thought about it that way? When we pray, it's as if we're sending those angels up the ladder with instructions or requests. We're sending those words. But I think there's an aspect too that our souls also ascend into the presence of him who can actually do something about this world. The only one that really has the power to change hearts, including ours. And so he responds, right? He responds in our hearts. He responds in our world, in our lives. Prayer spans the distance between us and God. So that's one way. Faith, guys, is also like Jacob's ladder. And again, we're subject to the limitations of a finite world. We can't see everything clearly, right? We, as Paul describes it as we're trying to look through this looking glass that is cloudy or dark, but God sees everything clearly, past, present, and future. And so uh, we believe and we trust in a God who is infinite and who knows and who sees all, who is all powerful. Our belief, our faith, our trust, it allows us to reach outside of our world for answers, for direction, for hope. Ephesians 3.17 says, He dwells in our hearts through our faith or our trust in Him. 
So a ladder or stairway is this perfect metaphor for the role of our Messiah Jesus because he truly is the way, right? He said that, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. But the way was the first thing that he said, the way between us and God. God made that way, and so our journey begins when we start taking steps along that way, steps of faith. That's important. And then the third one is God's instruction is like Jacob's ladder. Obedience to his commandments allow us to connect with him. But not only that, they allow us to partner with him and what he's doing in this world. That's why all that stuff is in there, right? He wants us to look like him. So each time we obey God, what we're doing is we're carrying out his will on earth. And his spirit leads us to live these lives in obedience to him. It's as if we, kind of like that ladder, spiritually ascend to meet him, but we also know that God descends to meet us right where we're at. Colossians 3.16 says, he dwells richly in us through his word, right? His instruction, his word. We should be thankful because God gave us practical ways. It's not like it's some holy tablet that we have to go to this mountain and talk to some weird person to get the insight into what God wants to do in our lives. No, he hands it to us. He's like, here you go. He hands us the hope. Practically, he puts it into our lives, the hope of his presence. But not only that, to pursue his purpose. Prayer, faith, and his word are the key to this connection for us. They're the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. So back to our story, after Jacob recognizes this place to be the house of God, it moves him to make a vow. And so what he vows is he vows to honor God with his life and with a tenth of all God gives him as these things that God has promised come to pass. So the last thing I want to point out is this, that Jacob's response is one of worship. And that's all we got, right? When we get this picture of who God is, his glory, his otherness, his holiness, all of these things, when we start to realize that, the response is worship. It's a response, right? Sometimes I think we come in and we're like, oh, I guess I gotta go. Oh, no, I never let go through the calm and through the storm. Right? Like we're, we're trying to be in it. But if we realize that, man, what we're doing, this opportunity we have is a response to what God's already done. Reflecting his glory back at him. That changes our whole perception of what this is. At least it should. Jacob recognizes God's presence, right? House of God, he calls it Bethel. He stops to set up a stone. He anoints it with oil, which means he's setting aside a place as sacred to honor God. But then he commits his whole life. It's all in there. His time, his talent, and his treasure, every part of it to the Lord moving forward. And we'll learn next week that the rest of his journey won't be easy. But even in exile, Jacob commits he commits himself to worship the Lord and to hold on to what he's promised him. So often, guys, we look down the road, we're like, okay, God, what's next? Okay, God, what's next? Okay, God, what's next? Okay, when God promised us something way back here and he wants us to kind of maybe hang out there for a while and get that done. So the hope today, guys, is this. It's Jesus 
I know it's the VBS answer, but it's true. He offers us hope right now with his presence and with his purpose in our lives. And so we have the same choice that Jacob had in this moment. How will we respond? How will you respond? Jesus promises to be present, but what are we doing to make that a reality? Are we engaging with him in the opportunities that we have? Are we crowding him out of our lives by filling our time with other things? Jesus commands us to abide in him. But that command is a pleasure because he wants to fulfill purposes in our lives, his purposes, and he loves and he cares for us. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever known someone that was such a pleasure to be around that anytime you were with them, the time just seemed like to go by like just fast like that. And not only that, you found yourself trying to find ways to inject them into your life because that time was always so short that you wanted to spend more with them. Someone that you just wish you could be around all the time. To abide with someone, that word, it means to have a rich, lingering relationship. But it also means that both parties have the same level of involvement and care for one another. And I think that's important for us to get a hold of. We know that God loves and cares for us. At least I hope we do. I hope you do by now. But do we have that same level of care for him? Have you ever thought about that? It's kind of blew my mind this week. God challenged me with this. He's like, okay, that's really great. But do you have that same level of love and care for me? How do I know? But the good news is that we can have that. And the even better news is he'll help us if we ask him. Would you bow your hearts with me, please? So maybe you're here today and your life has not turned out the way that you'd planned. Maybe you've gotten everything that you wanted and things have gone exactly as you hoped they would. But you've learned that things don't satisfy. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies our longing and our hope. So could the hopelessness that we have be because we're not abiding in him? What area is God speaking to you about today? Take a minute and ask him to show you. Do you live in awe of God? Do you recognize his presence and the gifts that he's given you in your life? Are you connecting with the creator of the universe through prayerful conversation? Are you opening your heart and your mind to him through his word? 
you placing your trust in him on a regular basis that you can see his purpose in your life? If you're feeling hopeless, he can help. Father God, I pray for these good people that are here and for myself as well. And just that you would reveal yourself in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that the knowledge of you that we hold on to, God, would be so much larger than intellectual thought, but that we would have a heart knowledge of you, that you would move us that your spirit would fill our lives and that we would truly know how awesome and mighty that you are and how worthy you are of the worship that we can give you with our lives. God, I pray that your spirit would impress upon us the awesome privilege that it is for us to know you. God, I pray for those of us that might be struggling today, whether we feel like we're alone in a place of exile, whether we're seeking direction, whether we're facing depression, or maybe we just have trouble having hope. God, I pray that you would help us in our unbelief we believe, help us in our unbelief. Renew our minds, renew our hearts, and help us to abide in you and to look more like you. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Before we go, I ask these guys if they would lead us in that song again and I'd just like to encourage you to take advantage of this moment that we have. And we're just going to open up the altars. We have all the space up here. We've got space over there. And if God's doing something or saying something to you right now, don't shove that back down inside and leave. Bring those things before him. You can kneel down right where you're at. It It doesn't have to be up here. But my encouragement is to take this time that we've set aside for him. As these guys sing the song and see what he wants to say and do in our lives. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. 
is our hope, isn't he? I love you guys. Listen, if you would like someone to pray with you today before you go, there'll be a few of us up here that would love to do that. Of course, any of the folks that, that you see around here that are normally look like they know what they're doing, I'm sure anyone you ask will probably pray with you. We would love to do that. And then, of course, uh, these cards will be out there. These are uh, connection cards that we have. Uh, if God said something to you today, like if he did made a change in your life, if you made a commitment, if you're interested in baptism, if you've got a prayer request, this is one way that you can get that information to us. And so what we'll do with this is we'll actually get that to our leadership. If you want it on the prayer chain, we can do that. But this is a great mechanism to do that. Uh, and we want to know. So if God's doing something in your life, you've got questions, this is one way that you can uh, connect with us. But I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. And I just pray that you'd have a blessed week. See you. Shut down the rain. You're the rebel.